Welcome back into the CC Podcast, everybody. It is Wednesday, October 4th. Mike Rutherford's here in Louisville, Kentucky. Dan Snard is in, uh, well, I don't know I don't know where you are. I know you're trekking through Louisville today, but uh, where are you right now? I'm in enemy territory here. I'm about an hour uh, an hour east of uh, Louisville, so trying to uh, send my Georgia Bulldog juju down here and, and place it all over the city, so... Um, but yeah, we'll be tracking through Louisville later today. I'm doing this on the phone for the first time ever. I know you do it on the phone. Usually I do it record off the desktop and, or the, the laptop. And I hope this sounds okay. If it sounds terrible, it's not our fault that the vibes are off for the biggest home game we've had. Yeah, in biggest like, game, in the, like, biggest, <laughs> biggest game probably since we've been on the pod, but that's all right. <laughs> Biggest game we've had in like seven years. I'm sitting here holding the phone, looking like a fucking idiot. Uh, it's okay. We're, we're, we're going to make this work. Uh, we've got lots to get to today. We're going to spend probably less time talking about last week's game than we typically do on a you know weekly episode because Notre Dame game is such a big deal. People are so excited about it. You guys had a bunch of questions on Twitter that I want to get to. But we will start with what happened last Friday. Louisville going down to Raleigh. Playing a game you and I both said we thought it was going to be a very stressful game, uh, very just a lot of anxiety, back and forth, and, and that definitely was true. We both predicted a three-point win. We both were right. What I'm trying to say is this is the smartest goddamn podcast in the world, but Louisville wins 13-10. It was ugly at times, for sure, but this is the, the, the third time in five games now in the Jeff Brom era where you look at a game and say, look, we made the plays. We, you know, so many times in the Scott Satterfield era, we were coming here on pods and being like, man, if we just made one out of three, four, five, six, seven plays, we win that game. We made none of them, and therefore we lost to Boston College or we lost to Virginia. This time, you know, we make the plays. We, we get the stops. We make the big kick, and I think there's something to be said for that. I, I, I thought despite some of the mistakes, and we'll talk about it, I, I still felt – Really, really good Friday night just to be 5-0 and and to see the team pull out a victory. That was it was tough sledding for most of the night. 100%. And I tweeted this out after the game. Scott Satterfield does not pull that out. Like, no. if the game goes the exact same way, uh, there's just – there's a different mindset um, around this team. And a win like that, although not aesthetically pleasing to say the least – I think can go a long way in, you know, having your team achieve kind of the goals that they're shooting for throughout the season. Um, Because, I mean, you're not going to have your A game every single game. And obviously, especially on the offensive side of the ball, I mean, things just, we could not get anything going, whether, you know, whether we were under pressure, whether, whether we were throwing bad passes, couldn't get the run game going, you know, receiver drops. Uh, It was just like, God, you know, it's all, you know, going against us. And for us to just somehow find a way, although a little bit of help for, uh, from the Wolfpack, no doubt, um, I think it's huge. So to be 5-0, and I mean, I think this was every fan's dream going into the season. Although it looked attainable, um, you just weren't sure if, if it was something that was going to happen. So there's no reason for any Cards fan not to be nothing short of ecstatic right now. Yeah, 5-0 and for the first time since 2013 when Teddy Bridgewater and Charlie Strong were running the program. 3-0 and in the ACC for the first time ever, which still just kind of blows my mind that we never got to – 
three and zero with Lamar Jackson or that twenty fourteen team that won nine games. But here we are. Uh, this is you're right, exactly where we wanted to be going into the, the biggest home game of the season, at least name wise. I know Kentucky will be a big deal as well, but this was the one that we all circled, saying at the start of the year, if we could be five and zero, this is going to be a pretty fucking big deal. And and here we are, and it, it is a pretty fucking big deal. I, I think the the main thing that I thought after the game is. I, I looked back at, and I know you remember this game. I think it was the last time that you and, and I were actually at a game together. The last time I was at a game period was the Virginia game in 2021. When, yep. you know, we have this big lead where we're, we're totally destroying them. We're dominating the game. And then we let things fall apart in the fourth quarter. You know, Brendan Armstrong was the quarterback of that team as well. Uh, although you wouldn't have known it watching, <laughs> watching him play Friday night and watching the game two years ago. But there were so many times in that game we had them – on in a fourth down situation three different times on two different drives if we get one of those stops we win the game we get none of them and, and you know there are other plays if we keep them out of the end zone we win the game we, we can't do it like we can never make that one play and then even after they come back and they take the lead 34 33 james turner has a very makeable kick from 49 yards a reliable kicker and he pushes it well right just completely just just not even close. And I kept thinking about that game and saying, you know, that was the game that we lost. It felt like five or six times under Scott Satterfield. And the exact opposite happens in this game where we keep getting the stops that we need. Brock Travelstead drills the 53-yard kick, which, by the way, is the longest in the history of the program. And then when UofL has a chance to fully close the door uh, with, with the defense, Ramon Perrier bull rushes the left guard for NC State, hits Armstrong, Quincy Riley, you know, makes the play, gets the ball. Uh, the entire city of Louisville is yelling for him to go down <laughs> from our yeah. from our living rooms. I'm like, go down, go down. Uh, but it, it just it, it felt like I don't know. I mean, I, I mean, I I believe in advanced stats and all that stuff, and, and I see the value in them. I definitely buy into that. But I do think there's also something to be said for you know guys that just understand how to win, the guys that just have a belief that they're going to win. And if you watch that video that U of L put out. As, as it's game recap, you saw the locker room at halftime, and it's a lot of guys that still look like they thought they were going to win that game and, and that were ready to motivate their team. And I think that's the most pleasant thing that we've seen so far from the Jeff Brom era. We're not going to win every close game. You know, there are going to be some games that aren't close that we lose, but I feel far more confident in these types of situations than I did when Scott Satterfield was here. No doubt. And I think college football, more than any other sport, more than NFL, more than college basketball, you know, any other sport, you want to learn your lessons in a win because yeah. there's so few opportunities. I mean, you're talking 11, 12 games and one or two losses, especially a conference loss, can change the whole outcome of a season. So, yes, is there things to work on? Of course. And, and you know, Jeff brought that up after the game that, you know, he could have put Jack in some better situations. Coach but to be able to learn those lessons in a win is just, it's it's huge. And it, it keeps the team, you know, a loss, I'm not saying the, a loss would have fractured the locker room or anything like that, but it keeps these young kids kind of engaged and because they still have their goals and aspirations ahead of them. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like you said, that, that halftime video was so awesome. I'm glad they threw that in there. It seems like we have great leadership on the team, um, you know, and, and we made the plays when we had to. That's what's kind of nice about this team. Um, we're still waiting for them, I guess, to put it together for that one just complete game. Um, and you hope maybe it's coming up here. But 
the fact that, hey, 5-0, and it, it really, in college football, it, right now it really doesn't matter who you play. I mean, it's 5-0 and is 5-0, and and now it's like, all right, now, now here we go. We're into the teeth of our schedule here, and we can really see what we're made of. But we got to the point that we needed to in order to have a successful season. I think it's oddly a comforting thing that we're sitting here being 5-0 and and saying you know, we still haven't seen this team really play a complete game because it feels like there's more – there's something left in the tank that we haven't yep. seen yet, which we need to see because, look, we've played – you know, you talked about it, 5-0, and it doesn't really matter who you played. We've played five, I mean, okay teams at, at best, and NC State's probably the best, and they lost by 21 to the team that we're going to host this weekend. You know, Indiana has looked bad since they – Played yeah. us to, within a touchdown. Georgia Tech got beat at home by Bowling Green this weekend. That was, that, that was not great. I, that's, I actually thought Georgia Tech, but I was like, hey, they're kind of sneaky. They might Same. put together a decent season. And I was like, uh-oh. Yeah, they were competitive against Ole Miss for most of that game and then lost by you know 23 or whatever it was. Uh, they did beat Wake on the road and, and did, did not look great last weekend. And now we're staring down a last seven-game stretch of the season where we're going to play four top 20 teams, uh, according to the current eight people. So if we're not better, then it's, it's hard to see us weathering the storm and coming out of here with you know, nine wins or, or, or ideally more. So it's nice to know that we haven't really put it all together. We've seen glimpses of it for a quarter or two on offense, a quarter or two on defense but we haven't had a, a full four quarters where the, both units have played really, really well. Well, um, I think you mentioned, I mean, just seeing glimpses of it gives me hope that it's there. Yeah, like, if sure. we hadn't seen it and it's just like, hey, you know, we've been dog shit and it's somehow we're 5-0, and oh, then it would maybe be a different story. But we've seen it on both sides of the ball. Granted, you know, Brennan Armstrong just got benched. So uh, we don't... Yeah, I'm not saying the de- I mean the defense was great, but uh, we'll we'll really find out on Saturday kind of what both sides of the ball are made of. Yeah, it's gonna yeah, Audrey Gestame and, and Sam Hartman will be a slightly larger test than Brent Armstrong and five running backs that couldn't pick up 100 yards against Trinity. Um, the good, I mean, the, the defense still was fantastic. Brock was nails. The the, the the bad we the Jack Plummer interception in the end zone. Oh. Both of his picks were bad, but the interception in the end zone may have been the single worst decision that I've seen a U of L quarterback make in my lifetime as a Cards fan. And I, you could hear the collective screams from from across the city. I mean, like I'm everybody sitting there. They're like, no, no, no. Like I literally, it felt like slow motion. I know the the pass was in the air for maybe a second and a half. It felt like I was screaming a cartoonish no for like 17 <laughs> seconds because I saw where it was going and I saw the amount of red shirts that were there waiting for it. I just, I mean, he wasn't terrible in this game. The stats bear that out. But when he was bad, he was really bad. I, I didn't think he handled the pressure very well. Uh, you know, they, they brought a ton of blitzes. He didn't seem to recognize where they were coming from. He did not. You know, quickly go to his check down, go to his hot route, uh, and, and you know, do the what, what they always say: throw the ball where the blitz is coming from. That just didn't happen. He either hung on to it too long or made a terrible decision when he did get rid of the ball. Uh, like, like this was again, the numbers were okay for Jack Plummer, but I think it goes without saying he's going to have to be much, much better on Saturday if we're going to have any shot at, at beating a top ten team. I mean, for a guy that 
I mean, geez, he was like ACC player of the week uh, against Boston College. You know, I, I, I was kind of feeling really good about the direction that he was headed in. And after that, after that interception, I mean, things get tense in these kind of games. It was going to be a tense game. As a fan, I mean, like your mouth, you just sprout off like different things. I, I turned to my wife. I was like, holy fuck, we got to get the backup in. Like it was that bad that I was thinking like, who's going to come in for this kid? I said um, some things. I, I, I definitely said some things. <laughs> but I, I'm, I'm really glad that it ended up being a win because – with a win, it's one of those things. It's like, hey, listen, it's behind us. Like I said, you learn your lessons from a win instead of a loss. And I, I, I would, you know, if that happens again, then I think we're in real trouble. But like you said, he did make some plays. I mean, the throw to Chris Bell in the end zone was nice. He had the big throw to Bell on the sideline, yeah. which was nice. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we're definitely going to need to see a, a, a higher level of play, not just from Jack, but – um, you know, and we, we knew NC State, they always have a kind of a tough defensive line, um, but they, they seem to get a pretty big push both on the pass and uh, on the run. So we're, we're going to need to kind of shore things up on that end, too, because we got some talent coming in Saturday. Yeah, I was shocked that we weren't able to run the ball more effectively. I mean, really, Jawar Jordan never got going. 16 carries for 32 yards, and you know, that's not a misleading stat. Like, we he could not find any running room. Let me just... let me ask you something. Okay. There's a couple of things like the run game. I don't know. I'm not like a really. I'm more of a basketball guy and a football guy. I'm not a running backs coach or anything. It seemed like there was some cutback lanes and like Jawar was like running into the back of our lineman. Granted, they were getting a push. I kind of, you know, when he would, when he didn't get anything going, I was hoping we saw a little bit more of Isaac Garendo that game. It seemed like he might be a guy to be able to get those tough yards, but I don't know. Like, Jawar, like, he can get those tough yards. I'm not saying he can't, but I, I do look at him, you know, as more of a home run threat. And in a game like that where it's a grind, I was hoping maybe we saw a little bit more of Isaac Garendo, but that's just me nitpicking. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I, I wouldn't have hated a change of pace, but I, I didn't really see anything out there. It seemed like NC State was, was dominating at the point of attack, and they kind of – they, it felt like they knew when we were going to run. Like we weren't, yeah, surprising anybody. Like they, like they, they did what we've seen Indiana and Boston College try to do, but they did it more effectively. Where they were like, "We're gonna put seven right up on you. We're gonna control the run. We're gonna blitz you when you're throwing, and we're gonna dare you to beat us deep." And we did it against BC really well. The offensive line was great, and Plummer was terrific. We did not do it very well against NC State. I think that's that's very obvious. I mean, Plummer had a wide-open Jawar Jordan on a great play call oh. on the first drive, and he just yeah. he, he just misses him by five yards. I mean, and I feel like that kind of set the tone. I, I will say, like, I, I think you and I have talked about it on the, the preseason podcast where we talked about Plummer being good enough to win you, you know, eight, nine games, but also being not good enough to, to you know, he, he's the type of quarterback that you feel like might lose you a game or two against a quality opponent if he doesn't play well. And this kind of reminded me of the, the last time we went to Raleigh where Malik Cunningham, for as good as he was for most of his career, just had one of those games where he missed every deep opportunity that was there. And the NC State offense didn't do anything into the fourth quarter, but the whole game you're thinking, we should be up by more, we should be up by more. And you look back and you're like, man, if Malik just plays a good game or an average game, we win there. And I kind of felt the entire night like this was going to be the game that Jack Plummer cost us. He, he missed an open guy. He made two horrible decisions. 
he did a thing again where he's scrambling and like gets an intentional grounding because he tries to Brett Favre out of bounds, which drives me fucking crazy. I'm like, just go yeah. down, uh, please. But he, I mean, the the big thing with Plummer now, and I put this on the website yesterday. According to Pro Football Focus, his QBR is 146.3 when he's throwing from a clean pocket, which is tremendous. It's 34.1 when pressured. He just is not handling pressure well. He, you know, he's he did a good job of extending some plays with his feet, but once he does that, he doesn't seem to throw well on the move, and like the, the accuracy goes down. Maybe guys so he's don't Kirk have. Cousins. He's he's it, basically Kirk Cousins. There's a little Cousins in in Jack. I can see that. Like you know, hopefully he's not primetime Kirk Cousins uh, this weekend because we, yeah. we need him to be better under the lights than Kirk is. But it was just I, – I will give him some credit, though, after he makes that horrible mistake. And you saw the replay. Like, he puts his hands on his head almost immediately. He's like, what the yeah. fuck did I just do? Like, he doesn't just shrivel and, and you know get in the fetal position and, and lose us the game after that with another mistake. He at least got us into a position where, you know, he gave Brock Travelstead a chance and, and yep. Travelstead took full advantage and won the game for us. So there's something to be said for that for sure. There there was about four instances where I just turned to my wife. I was like, not our night. We're not winning this. And like the first one was that Jawar miss. I'm like, oh my God, like that is just brutal. That's like one of those throws that. You said it on the, the first dri- on, the, on the first drive of the game. You said not Look, our night. A hundred percent. Just because <laughs> I, I think like getting a lead for our team is huge. Like I, I, I just felt like, hey, this is an environment you want to get off to a fast start. You want your quarterback to get comfortable. Um, so I didn't have a good feeling there. Uh, obviously, uh, oh, the fake punt. You know that Jeff had been sitting on that all off yeah. season, and like he's, I bet he's still stewing about it. Like, God damn it, how do we hold on that? Um, which, it was beautiful I mean, too. The, the call was great. Um, you know, uh, that one when Jamari dropped a wide open pass, I was like, okay, here we go. Like, you know, he doesn't do that. Uh, you know, that's that's the third instance, and then obviously the interception there. I was really kind of muttering to myself. I'm like, God damn it. Like, Jack was wearing, like, the same white sleeves that Teddy wore. I'm like, you don't deserve to wear the white sleeves. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, no, I mean, Jack's a big boy. He can handle it. And like you said, it was it was nice of him to kind of shake that throw off. And then he let us down the field. That throw to Chris Bell on the sidelines or, um, was nice. I think he had a big throw to Coleman, too. But, yeah, I mean, got out there with a win, and uh, we move on. I can't believe he shaved the mustache. Like, like he, he shaved the mustache for the, the first four games of the season. He busted back out for Boston College. He plays the best game of his college career, and then he shaves it again for NC State. What, what are you thinking? Like, if, if, I had, if, if I had mistakenly scratched my face and, and then played the best game I've ever played in my entire life, I'm scratching my face before every game moving moving on and he just I don't, I don't know what he's thinking like bring the stash right. back this weekend Jay. it's stash tober jeff timber was perfect now we've moved on to stash tober like don't be silly notre dame has one of the top defenses in the country you're a six-year senior and our captain act like act it, like it. So uh, I had to throw my first rudy reference there's going to be plenty more folks i enjoy it those those well-timed uh we, we do have to give a shout out to i think cameron kelly who only makes big oh, yeah. plays he you know, the, the interception that he had in the end zone uh, with a terrible throw by Brennan Armstrong, I thought totally changed the game. If, if they go up 17-0, then I'm not sure we, we can come back from that. He also recovers the fumble that 
Armstrong has on a, a couple drives later in the fourth quarter. And like, I didn't realize it going into the game, but Cam Kelly, the last time he played at NC State when he was playing for North Carolina, it was the regular season finale in 2021. He They give up two late touchdowns to, to Devin Leary and company. Both are on Kelly. Like he, he gets whooped. He's out of position on the first one. The second one, he's right there, and he just get, kind of gets mossed by the NC State receiver. And he said, like after the game, like I carried that loss with me for a long time. So to be back here to make those two big plays uh, and, and to win that game was a huge deal for him. It was good to see him step up and and make two really huge momentum swing plays. No, hundred um, percent. Yeah, I mean it, it, it's interesting. I mean. I think Jeff, maybe he likes their running us. They, they kind of like rotating the safeties, but, um, and this is no slight to Josh Minkins. I mean, he, I guess he was fine in the game. I think the whole defense played well, but, uh, you know, Cam is definitely, he, he's kind of standing out with the, the big plays that he's made so far. So uh, really, I, I didn't have anything to complain about with the defense all game. I think there was one play where, I don't know if it was Riley or, or Jarvis Brownlee went out and they had to put Trey Franklin in and they went right at Trey Franklin. Uh-huh. That was like their really one big gainer um, that they had. Um, but other than that, I, I thought we did a great job of holding them in check. So um, hats off to, to Ron English and the defensive staff. The, the last thing we have to get to, I mean, it was a, it was a touchdown. I, I don't know oh, how yeah. they – I mean, my God. Like, I, I, that was – yeah, you talked about you kept having these moments where it's not our night, it's not our night. That was the first time because I was really confident at halftime. Like I, I was texting everybody, I'm like, we're gonna win. I, I still feel good about this. When they overturned that call, that was the first time. Or not overturned when they didn't overturn the call. Yeah, that was the first time where I was like, they're gonna fuck us again. Like it, it just it felt terrible, and it was a, a woe is me moment for sure. But what are they doing? Like what what were they watching? I have no idea. Yeah, like you know. Andre Ware. I mean, like God. My God. I mean, that was. Oh, I like. I was like laughing by the end. I'm like, what the hell is this guy talking about? Like, you could convince me that he had like a screwdriver up in the booth, uh, just pounding away. Some of the some of the calls he made uh, that he was calling for, just absolutely outrageous. Like, I I don't have him in front of me i don't really remember i just remember during the game i'm like i have no idea what this guy's talking about he wanted us to kick a field goal yeah, instead of running out the clock at the end of the game i'm like <laughs> yeah. how much money does andre have on the cards tonight i mean the every time i hear him call a game of ours i'm like is it possible that somebody who won the heisman trophy and played quarterback in the nfl doesn't understand the basic rules of football because he just like, he, like you know, him calling, and I know it was a play that would have benefited us, but him acting like the the Jack Plummer fumble wasn't a fumble. I was like, this is the most obvious. Like nobody from Louisville's even complaining about this. It's the most obvious fumble of all time. What the fuck are you talking about? Uh, he's he is so bad. Um, but the yeah yeah, I mean, the the only thing that made me somewhat I don't even want to use the word okay when they didn't overturn the the Jaden Thompson touchdown was when they brought in the officials guy and he's like, it looks like dual possession. And the rule is whoever's foot comes down first. Yeah. I'm like, if they call this an interception, I may stop watching football for the rest that's of my exactly life. exactly what I said. I was like, this is a terrible rule if that's the case. Cause like we obviously have the ball here. Um, yeah. I was, I actually think I would have lost my mind more with that. If that's what they would have said out loud. I think I would have absolutely broken my TV. I would turn the game off. Yeah, that, that would have been it. I'm done. Uh, regardless, Louisville gets the win, 
5-0 and uh, again for the first time since 2013. Now a chance to make a, a huge national splash this weekend when top 10 Notre Dame comes down. And we're ranked for the first time since 2020, which, which feels good. Um, so, yeah, always nice to see a little number next to your name. There's, it's good for the brand, going across the bottom line, all that good stuff. We're going to take some questions from Twitter before we do. Reminding you, this podcast is brought to you by our friends over at Homefield Apparel. Homefield Apparel, the best college gear in all of the land. They're coming out with new schools every single week. They've got a new Campbell Camels line this week, which is just glorious. Visit homefieldapparel.com to see all their co- college apparel, including their line of Louisville gear. When you do so, use the promo code CHRONICLE15 at checkout. It'll save you 15% off your first purchase. Follow them on their social media channels at Homefield Apparel without an E on Twitter and at Homefield Apparel on Instagram. It's the best way to get updates on all their newest releases and keep up with, with everything that's going over there with their best deals. Again, homefieldapparel.com, promo code CHRONICLE15. All right, we'll take some questions on Twitter. We're going to have to limit this a little bit because i got to get out of here to pick up uh, Virginia from school at like 1140. We had some technical difficulties getting set up here, so it delayed us just a little bit. But uh, we'll take as many as we can, and then we'll talk Notre Dame for the end of the show. Um, our guy, Dr. of Dunk, says, if you could put one non-QB Louisville alum on this team, who would it be and why? One non-QB Louisville and, uh, alum. Hmm. Well, I, I mean, I trust Jeff that we're probably going to have – I mean, we don't have like a Devontae Parker, I would say, um, although Jamari Thrash is very good. Um, I, I would probably lean towards the defensive side of the ball, maybe a pass rusher. I'll go Elvis Doomerville. That'd okay. Be nice. um, on the other side of Ashton over there. That would be nice. I was going to say Jair Alexander. Um, yeah, I, I think we're, we're good in the secondary, but – Maybe if you put him with, alongside Quincy Riley, it's just like more of a game breaker. It would force teams to throw at Riley a little bit more. Not that Jarvis Brownlee and Storm Dog haven't been really, really good, but I could see him back there making it. And also, he would help us out with punt returns and kick returns. He was a dynamic returner, although Kevin Coleman's been pretty good. I don't hate a pass rusher either. The only other thing I could think of was maybe like a a game breaking tight end, like Ivan Green. Maybe. Oh yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> That or maybe maybe like a big old nose tackle, old Roy Phylon. Can we get Roy Phylon back? Sheldon um, Rankins, maybe. Oh yeah, there we go, Sheldy. Um, Sheldy's we like picked, so underrated. I know. We just picked like seven guys, by the way, for the, game, <laughs> yeah. for the question. Sorry, I'm sticking with Elvis. Um, Andrew Park says, "Do we see Cam Kelly start this week? He seems to be a ball hawk and has gotten a lot of recognition for it." winning two Conference DB of the Week awards. Is there a consistency issue here that keeps him behind Minkins? Uh, I mean, you kind of danced around it. Like, I don't know why. I'm, I'm, ready for, I'm ready for the Devin Neal, Cam Kelly starting at safety era to begin here. Uh, Josh Minkins, I think, is a little bit hit or miss. I think he's still also dealing with uh, kind of a hamstring issue that is – he looks a step slow. He got beat on Armstrong's biggest pass play of the, of the night on Friday, um, and, and Kelly has been so good. I, I know they like rotating them. I'm fine with Minkins getting reps. I'd like to see more of Cam Kelly out there because he, I mean, he seems to be – he's every, always where, where you need him. He, he's always making big plays. Yeah, I mean, there must be something going on in, in practice. Maybe Cam's not 100% sure of the scheme um, being being a new guy. and Maybe it's just they're comfortable with Josh knowing every play call. But like you said, the eye test, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess it's fine. They're kind of – rotating in and out but i i think you know 
hopefully he's more comfortable and, and we kind of see him those snaps kind of get boosted up a little bit because he, like you said, kind of a Gerard Holman, like guy seems to just make plays whenever you need it. Uh, Keys says, do you think the cards are more likely to win a shootout or a low scoring game this weekend? Also any update on dad's Dan's dad punching him. I'm trying to get a sense of the locker room motivation this week. Um, what was the first? I'm sorry. What was the first part? Um, <laughs> what was has that? your dad punched you? Yeah. Um, no, my dad has not punched me. Uh, I am interested to see what his game time, game day attire is going to be. I think he's pretty juiced up for the game. Um, obviously, Irish alum, but uh, it'll be fun. We're we're uh, we're all very excited for it. Um, what was Are the more other... likely to win a shootout or a low-scoring game? Yeah, I, I would say a shootout. Um, I don't know. Like, and I, this isn't a knock on the defense. Um, I just think I, I'm I'm a little worried about our defensive line against their offensive line. It just that's the one thing that's kind of keeping me up. Um, but I just think feel like at home. I know Notre Dame's defense stout. I just can't see a Jeff Brom offense staying down for two games in a row. So I'm going to go with a shootout instead of a low-scoring game. I, I lean towards low-scoring game just because I feel like they've got more playmakers than we do. But they've, they've also been in a ton of low-scoring games so far this year. I think they're only real in a, against a quality opponent. Their only kind of shootout game is the, the NC State game, if you want to call it that, where they won 45-24. Um, I don't know. Hey, it's it's a good question. I'll, I'll I'll lean towards low scoring game, but I can see both sides for sure. Patrick Smith, uh, lawyer extraordinaire, says the Notre Dame game is our biggest home game since when? Probably the, uh, I mean, the game before the downfall of our university, the the Clemson College Game Day where they came in and beat us, and then yeah, the Adidas scandal happened like the, that same week and. We, that was a, that was a, a bad couple of days there, but I, I, I remember being very hyped up for that one, and uh, I don't remember as big of a home game since. That would be my answer, too, the, the 2017 Clemson game. The, the Shaw Watson, Lamar Jackson rematch, um, game day being back in town. Now, college game day was here in 2020 when we played Miami, and it was the last time that we had a you know top 25 versus top 25 matchup at Ellen Stadium, but that was, I mean, it was the COVID year. It was like the second yeah. game. They, they beat us. It, it didn't have the same juice for sure. I, my answer is the same, 2017 Clemson. By the way, can you – trivia time. How many times do you think Cardinal Stadium slash Ellen Stadium, whatever you want to call it, has hosted a top 25 versus top 25 matchup? Jeez. Oh, so yeah, – so, oh, gotcha. So I can even go to, back to early days. It can't be many. I'll say like – Five. Five is correct. Uh, Nailed it. Oh, wow. Uh, That was a total guess. We are three and two in those games. We won the first three. We we knocked off. um, It happened twice in 2006. We beat Miami and uh, West Virginia in ranked versus ranked games. And then uh, in 2016, we beat Florida State when they were number two in the country. And then we lost the game that we just talked about against Clemson and lost that Miami game in the COVID year. So we're three and two in top 25 versus top 25 matchups at Allen Stadium, which is okay. We'd we love got to have, we're going we're gonna to have some more coming down the, the barrel, I think, in the, in the following years here. 
Sock says, can we get Danny on the radio show Friday? We need him and Trevor to give their Dan in the dumps and Trev in the tree stories. Funny you mentioned that. Uh, I don't know when you're listening to this podcast, but if you're listening to it on Wednesday, Dan will be on the radio show live in Louisville on Wednesday. This is true. I, uh, you know, being in Columbus, I, I can't really feel the juice for the game. I was like, you know what? I, I got to go down and, and, and get the electricity in person. So um, I'm going to hop on for a little bit um, on, on Wednesday and we will, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to, to meeting TK and um, yeah, it should be a good time. Alan says, what do you think is more likely a win over both Notre Dame and Kentucky or a trip to the ACC title game? Ooh, that's a good question. I mean, if we're beating Notre Dame and Kentucky, I feel pretty good about the rest of our season. Um, I will say, man, that's tough. I'm going to say Notre Dame and Kentucky. I'll say trip to the ACC title game, but it's it's definitely close. I mean, Notre Dame and Kentucky, I think you can – they're definitely two of the three toughest opponents left on our schedule. Miami, I think, is, is good. We'll see if they have one of their typical – I mean, Miami also hasn't played a league game yet, which is crazy. They're, they're 4-0, but they have not played a conference game. I think you look at the rest of our schedule and you, you look at it and you say – there are four teams that are pretty good that we're going to play. I think Duke's good. Notre Dame and Kentucky are good, and Miami's good. And the other three teams are pretty just downright bad. Pitt has been really bad this season. Virginia and Virginia Tech have been dismal this season. You should win those three games. That gets you to eight wins, and then it becomes, well, else can you pick up? But I would love it. If we're able to beat – again, I don't want to count my eggs before the hatch, but if we are able to beat Duke on the 28th when they come here, it does kind of feel like we may be going into Miami in the second to last game of the regular season playing for a trip to the conference title game, which is crazy to think about, like how cool that would be. I do kind of worry, like, if we lose it or if we win it, are we too high or are we too low for Kentucky? But then I remember Jeff Brom's our coach, and he's not going to let us overlook UK. So I haven't – like, I can't even process the thought of us playing in an ACC title I know. game. Like, I know. We've never even been – We've never even I, – I guess the one year with Lamar, but even then, like, we lost to Clemson and they're in our division. So, we're like, oh, we're probably not going to sniff that game. Like, we haven't even had it on our radar. Um, so, the fact that, like, you know, you can even dream about it is is kind of a weird thing. Corey says, I was going to suggest a CC caption contest where you picked your favorite one from each previous game that we win, but I had to worry about the sanctity of your inbox. Thank you. So, instead, if y'all could pick – Who's the one most important player on U of L's offense and defense for the Notre Dame game? Can we both just say Plummer for offense? Yeah, and, and yeah. Talk, yeah. I mean, I think I think it's obvious it's Jack Plummer on offense. Who's your most important player on defense? Um, I mean, this is pretty obvious. I'll, I'll go with Ashton just because I think we're gonna have to pressure the quarterback. Um, plus, he's on the defensive line. Um, I think that's where, to me, that's where the game. Like, if you're like, hey, what's your key to the game? I think it's Notre Dame's offensive line versus our defensive line. I'm going to go – Ashton's a good pick. I'm going to go, like, TJ Quinn in the middle of the defense, one of the linebackers, maybe Jalen Alderman, because I think that stopping the run, not letting them get, like – not letting Estime get five or six yards on obvious rundowns is going to be the key. Um I mean, I would love to see Sam Hartman do what he did against us last year. It's probably not going to happen. So if we can get them in, in third and 
manage like third and eight, third and nine plays like that, and then get off the field. I think that's going to be the key for our defense. So we love the big plays, but I would just love some run stoppers to get up there and attack estimate the, the, the point of attack. This is off topic. Okay. Is Sam Hartman the best looking college football player of all time? I He's like a good looking guy. Oh my God. Like, I mean, Hey, whatever. I, the guy took his helmet off. I was like, geez, look at this guy. Like the beard is <laughs> absolutely perfect. He's got like the tan skin, the great hair. He's a quarterback. I was like, good God. Like I, I don't want my wife to go to this game. Um, Every Wake Forest quarterback, I mean, they've had like five go on the Bachelor. They all, they, except Hartman's good at football, so we had to leave Wake Forest. But all the other ones have like, you know, they, they suck, and then they end up going on the Bachelor. It's a crazy thing. Uh, let's see. Kevin says, uh, "Do you think Satterfield deserves a little more credit for where he left this program from from a from a personnel standpoint? His shortcomings as a developer of talent and a play caller are pretty apparent. I think Brom is getting more out of the guys than Sat could." He did overhaul some of the skill positions, but Sat seems to have left this team in a position to be good sooner than later with the right coach. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, it, it certainly he did not leave the cupboard totally bare. I have a hard time, though, when people – and Kevin's not doing this, but when people are like, don't enjoy the, 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 the failures of Scott Satterfield. He left this program in a great place. I'm like, you know, he was a 500 coach who flirted with – South Carolina, which would have been a lateral move in most Louisville fans' eyes, in the middle of a pandemic, after a three-win season, when U of was cutting costs across the board, and he ultimately left us for our one one of our arch rivals. Like, you know, fuck that guy. Like, I, I'm not. I don't need to root for him wherever he goes. He wasn't the worst coach in the world. He wasn't the worst person in the world. But still, like, I, I don't feel any loyalty to him or anything like that. Uh, I mean, you know, you look at what the guys that are thriving for us right now, especially on defense. A lot of them. You know, they, they were Satterfield guys that were recruited by him, that were developed here. Um, you know, our, our safeties are, are transfers. A couple of our linebackers are transfers. But Ashton, Destel, uh, Ramon Perrier was a walk-on that Satterfield gave a scholarship. Offensively, you got a lot of, uh, of transfers that Braun brought in that are making big-time plays on the offensive line and at wide receiver. But, you know, the running back, Jawar and, and Maurice Turner are both Satterfield guys. So, yeah, I mean, it's not like – he didn't leave us in the worst spot imaginable, but I'm also just not – I'm not going to sing his praises. Yeah, I'm in the exact same boat. Like, all right, you know, thanks for doing that. But, um, <laughs> yeah, anyways, I like cool. – I, I I am uh, I am kind of relishing in these – I mean, the fact that we got to watch Cincy pretty much dominate the first half against BYU and then – Obvious, and then like I don't know who watched it, but they gave up like a cheap late touchdown to like go down at halftime. I'm like, God, this is so like nothing's changed. He's like a phenomenal coach between the twenties, and then everything falls apart. Like that's just who he is. So trust um, me, I was watching. It was the uh, Friday night. I was going to be petty as shit. It was. I was yeah. staying up for this. This is incredible. It really was. So um, now, great. I mean, the schedule hasn't been well. I mean, he did lose to Miami, Ohio, but he's you know. BYU on the road, Oklahoma. I mean, it's not the the easiest schedule, but um, I mean, hey, he's one in three. We're five and zero, oh, uh, and yeah, sorry, Scott, we're uh, we're leaving you in the dust here, pal. U uh, of Sports News says, "What is each of your all's go to karaoke song?" <sighs> it's been a while. It has been, yeah, a, while. It's been a while. Yeah. Um, 
I am employed, so one of my choices I'm going to leave out. <laughs> but I, uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, this is tough. Like, I don't know. I kind of, I'm all over the place. I really, I like this is a, I, what's the motor in? Like, I'm a big, big fan of that song. I don't know. Like, that's a tough <laughs> one for me. Uh, when we used to go, to, the only time in my life where I've gone to karaoke consistently was like towards the end of my college career when I was at Bellarmine. I went to a Kiko's a decent amount, and they also had karaoke at like the Brown Bag, which is right across the street from where our buddy uh, Kircher used to live. And my go-to was uh, LFO Girl on TV. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. It, was, it was fantastic. Uh, have not done it in a long time though. I also once tried to do to uh, karaoke Outcast or Fresh So Clean when I was very drunk. A lot harder than you'd think it would be. It went horribly. I think I got booed off the stage at uh, whatever that bar was that now is Mama's on Bauer Avenue. Uh, Zazu's. It was bad. Oh my god, I forgot about Zazu's. Zazu's was great. You could, bring, you could bring the biggest cup in the world imaginable on like Thursdays, and they would fill it up for the normal beer price. It was. It was I great. think I saw Kentucky lose to West Virginia in the Elite Eight at Zazu's, surrounded <laughs> by Kentucky fans. So, cheers to Zazu's. Uh, my guy Jeremy says, how are you and Mark Rutherford related? He was fantastic on the ACC <laughs> network the other day. I was on the ACC network. They did put my name as Mark. Uh, you know, it's a big game when old Mark Rutherford's popping up on your TV. Yeah, but it was, it was, I, I enjoyed the, the time. It was good. It was the second time I've you been did, on you, there. It was good. You did, fun. you did well. I, I Thanks, did laugh at, at the, uh, at the Mark Rutherford thing, but that's, that's par for the course. So um i always want to call mark packard todd packard like i I, I literally like every time i'm like oh man you're on with todd packard but uh anyways i digress daniel says notre dame's ranks are 52nd in rush defense 108th in sacks and 124 in tackles for loss do you think this is a better matchup for our offense than nc state Uh, i'm gonna say no because those numbers i think that they They've played quality competition. Also, NC State's numbers were not good going into our game. And the one number you're leaving out, Notre Dame is fourth in the country in pass defense, which is – that's good. Uh, so I, I do think I, – I hesitate to say this because I said it last week and it was totally not true. We should be able to run the ball on them a little bit. Um, but passing game is a, a little bit concerning. Although I do like the fact that they you know, have not gotten – great pressure on quarterbacks i don't know how much of that is because duke and ohio state both have really good offensive lines but would love to see a, a situation where Plummer has a clean pocket more times than not this weekend i mean i'm not really answering the question here but i mean think about this i mean if notre dame doesn't have 10 guys on the field two plays in a row i mean we're talking about like probably the number two or three team in the nation coming in here yeah like i mean that's how close they are to being like a top team um so yeah that i mean you can rattle those numbers off if you want i mean the fact is they had ohio state beat now you can turn around and also say hey duke should have won hartman scrambles on that fourth and 16 um so i guess you can flip-flop those but i mean this is this is going to be stiff no matter what position group you look at uh notre dame they're going to be tough um Zorbacorp says, if Dan gets a towel day on Saturday, but the towel is honoring Brian Brom, will he still wave it? No. Um, yes, you no, will. That, that's the biggest lie. You, you are, you, you're more desperate for a towel wave than you've ever been desperate for anything in your entire life. I'm obviously being facetious there. Of course, I'd wave the towel. I'd get all wrapped up in all the emotion. 
I hope if we do it now, I'm getting picky. A, I want a towel game. B, if we have towels, I do hope they're white because the white just pops like it really does. Like <laughs> pops a little more than like the red and the black. Like give me the white towels under in the dark sky. Like you know, God, playoff baseball is going on. I see the towels going. I'm like, geez, we we need this. Like uh, the Reds deprive me of it. Like cards, you really could come through here. If because we, so we are going to the game together. You're going to the game. We're going to tailgate. Uh, I'm excited about it. It's the first game I've been to since I kind of got sick uh, a couple years ago. So I'm I'm pumped. But I, I somebody needs to film your reaction if we see towels on the seats when we walk into the stadium because I'm, I'm not going to be with you. But I do want to know just how excited you get. I like get to my seat and my towel's gone. I'm like, give it over <laughs> here, pal. I don't think you understand. I need this. It's like. Dan got kicked out of the game. Yeah, he's fighting with someone over their towel. Yeah, it's like, why is my son begging me for his towel back? I'm like, <laughs> sorry, son. <laughs> You're waving two towels at the end of the game. Sam's <laughs> sobbing. He's like waving towels in his face. Yeah. I mean, we like to wave. I, I mean, our fans, they're all about waving stuff. I'll never forget Freedom Hall. Gosh, the guy that used to sit behind the goal, he would wave Papa John's breadsticks during the free throw. So <laughs> if you gave us – he looked like Cactus Jack. If if you give us something to wave, we will wave it. Two tell that, baby. Um, the Notre Dame game. I mean, this is going to be we, – we talked about the biggest home game since. But I do feel like – and sometimes there's some revisionist history when you see how the game actually goes. It does feel like this has the potential to be up there in terms of games that we remember at Cardinal Stadium, like the the Florida State game in 2016, or like the West Virginia game in 06, or the Florida State game in 02 if we win. And I don't think that really – that's not based on how Notre Dame is going to play the rest of the season. I mean, we still – we we cherish that Miami win in 06 and that Miami team went on to be like 6 and 6 and not very good. It's Notre Dame, it's top 10, it's ABC, it's 7:30. We're undefeated. You know, Jeff Brom bringing the good vibes that we were hoping the prodigal son coming back. Like I feel like this is this is right up there in that uh, that tier 1 of Louisville football home games or has the potential to be at least. Yeah, I think on a from a national standpoint we're looked at as like, hey, five and zero. Haven't played anyone. Haven't really like cracked like the big time college football conversations yet. Yeah. If we were to to somehow come out of here with a win, I mean that changes everything. It changes national landscape. Hopefully, it change you know recruiting. Um, so I mean, this is a. I know it's not a conference game, but atmosphere wise program wise i mean this is like you said probably biggest home game since you know 2017 let's address this too because so when we beat nc state i mean the you fucking sickos out there that are clamoring for a emergency podcast uh on on friday night i got it a bunch there are a lot of people that were like pod pod emergency pod (laughs) emergency pod it happens all the time we try to save it for the biggest games Right. Beating beating Notre Dame would obviously be an emergency podcast moment, but we're both going to be at the game. How do we handle this? I mean, do we do we come home and do one when it's like one a.m. and we get back to our houses? I mean, you're staying with with our buddies. Do we do one on Sunday? Like, I, I feel like we're gonna have to give the people something. But yeah, I know, like, no, I, I, think, like I think pod. I was gonna say. I, I mean, I think that's one where I mean, me and you are just gonna have to grind it out late night, like. No matter what time we get back, don't say it like that, please. Uh, yeah, well, it's like rewind. 
Uh, but no, I get we're we're gonna have to give the people what they want is what I'm trying to say. So doesn't matter what kind of state that that we're in. Um, I think you know it's gonna be worthy of one. So like you said, I mean NC State. Yeah, believe me, do it. Would me and you love to get on and talk about it? Of course we would. But I mean, we, after watching Brennan Armstrong just throw the ball up for grabs for four quarters, I don't think that's really a, uh, a, a emergency pod noteworthy game and we want to do it at games that it's like all right hey this actually this this kind of is huge in the grand scheme of things and this game certainly fits that criteria these have to mean something people they they, right. they have to yeah they, we, we can't just do this for any old little thing although we probably should because our numbers are always way better on those than they are <laughs> on normal podcasts so it'd probably be smart just to do like a post-game pod but we're still you know we, we have a code we must yeah. abide by that uh, the, the Notre Dame coming in town, they are number 10 in the country. I don't know if you remember, but last year, Sam Hartman quarterbacked another team that was ranked number 10 in the AP poll and promptly threw three interceptions and fumbled the ball three times in one quarter. The ghost of Sam like, is there a little part of you? It's become kind of a narrative, but there's a little part of me that thinks that maybe there's some legitimacy that he gets in this bill in the stadium. And it's like, Ooh, I, I, I kind of forgot. Like all these bad memories come flooding back. He's quarterbacked against us twice as a starter, and he's 0-2 in those games, has not played well in either of those games. Is there anything to this? Because he's a guy who's he's thrown 14 touchdowns and no interceptions so far this season. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the, there, there's, you know, I think it's impossible for him not to think about that. I will say, I think, you know, Ron English, he kind of runs a completely different scheme than, than Brian Brown yeah. did. Brown, like, kind of came at you from – from all angles where Ron English kind of, you know, I think he kind of wants to keep things more in front of you. So um, it'll be interesting to kind of see the game plan that we dial up here on, on Saturday. But yeah, I mean, you know, it's impossible no matter how, what a veteran presence you are, no matter how many games you played, if you have a game like that and you're going back to the same place, uh, you're going to have those same thoughts running through your head. Hartman's good. They don't have a ton of, like crazy threats on the outside. The Tyreek kid is really good, but their leading receiver is Mitchell Evans, their tight end, who looks like a classic Notre Dame, just zone buster tight end, which concerns me a little bit because we've given up some big plays of tight ends that have found that space when we haven't gotten to the pass rusher. I'm more worried about their rushing attack, though. I think Estime is really, really good. Um, I mean, overall confidence level going into this game. Louisville's a six-and-a-half-point underdog, but it's Jeff Brom in a big spot. It's Louisville at home at night in a big spot. Both have had success over the years here. What's your confidence level right now for this game? If I'm saying one to 10, where 10 is we're definitely going to win. One is we have no chance to win. If this was on the road, I would say four. Since it's at home, I think it bumps it up about a point and a half. So I'll give it about a five and a half. Like I really like, I, I think it's, a game that could go either way, but I, I just I love that it's a night game. I love that it's a home game. I love that we haven't had a game this big in a while. The Jeff Brom, you know, kind of era um, beginning. So I'll, I'll say slightly better than fifty percent. I like that. Uh, I think it's good. I mean, I, I do want to see the spread again. It's six and a half as of the time that we're recording this on Wednesday morning. Jeff Brom has been a home underdog of seven points or more twice. Uh, since he joined a power conference, and he won both those games. So I wouldn't hate us being a touchdown underdog. Let, let me ask you this real quick. I know, I know you got to run soon. Do we think Jeff has, has been saving stuff for this game, whether it's a trick play, whether it's, you know, 
um, a new wrinkle on offense or a completely new look? Like, do you think he's one of those coaches like, hey, I've had to kind of hold this in the bag and now we're ready to let it loose? I'm going to say yes. I, I, I think with, with a little bit of a caveat, I think there are some things that he wants to do in this game that he hasn't done yet that only will come up situationally. Like, I think maybe he's like, we've been saving this for Notre Dame, but it's got to be the perfect situation for us to actually run it or to actually do it. Um, so I, I, think, I think, yeah, it doesn't guarantee that we're going to see those things, but I do think that he's probably been holding something for like this game specifically since the early part of the season. I mean, they interviewed, I think it was, um, I can't remember who it was after the, the BC game when we ran that, I think it was Amari Huggins-Bruce, who said, we have an, like an entire playbook of trick plays. So don't worry about us, you know, burning a play against BC. Like, we've got a ton that we practice. The, the team loves practicing them. We do it every week. So I think that he's got, like, like, there are, he's got options to work with that we haven't seen yet. And I'm excited about that. Yeah. No, I mean, <laughs> I just, I'm like, what's the, I'm already interested in, like, what the first play is going to be. I just cannot see it being, like, a screen pass or an off tackle, like, I don't know. Brahms, I mean, as, as good as he is on the offensive side, he's also a showman, especially yeah. for times like this. So um, I will be very interested on Saturday night to see what we dial up. Yeah, I mean, this is without question the most excited I've been for a little football game in a long time. Like, you know, you, you coming in town, our fr- other friends coming in town, getting the tailgate group back together like we're still 20-somethings. Card like, March is going to be electric. So I'm uh, already like, gonna be absolutely jacked for card march. Um, by the way I- – How's our how's our intro video this year? Like that's that's big for me. Like you got to get a good intro <laughs> video where the stadium can kind of clap along to it. Like we've 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 had some good ones, and then when you know, and the, I know the marketing team they do a good job. I'm sure the video itself is good, but I like to get in rhythm with kind of the fans to where we're clapping and cheering along with it, not just like sitting there and staring at it because it's like you know dramatic music or or, or whatnot. You know what I mean? It's it's a solid video. You're not going to get the clapping that you're looking for. So, okay. well, that, sorry, that makes me a little sad. You may have to start the clapping on your own. Okay, I'll start. I'll wave the, the towel. Start the class. What do you want? All right, I'm going to do it all. <laughs> all right, let's let's do it. Uh, cards taken on Notre Dame, seven thirty. ABC. Uh, U is a six and a half point underdog. Number twenty five versus number ten. Uh, we already gave our. You gave your confidence level. I'm going to go first because I don't. I'm, I'm going to pick up to lose. Um, I, I don't want to do this. I, I'm. I, I do have faith that we can win this game for a number of reasons i think it's going to be a competitive game i think at the end of the day that we're maybe just not there quite yet uh and i think notre dame is is really good so it's not like i'm picking us to to lose to a nobody but i'm gonna say notre dame wins this game by a touchdown i'll say kind of like in the same form that they've won their last few games or they played the last few games and i'm gonna say uh, notre dame 28 21 i need you to pick me up here what's your thought on this game Jeez. Oh I mean, I'm not going to lie. Every time I think about the game, I, I picture Notre Dame 31, Louisville 21, Notre Dame 31, Louisville 16. Like, But I don't know. Like, I just think once my foot hits the purple lot, I'm going to be like, you know what? God damn it. We are winning this game. So, you know what? I'm going to go bold here. I'm going to say that we win in, like, the most dramatic probably last second finish <laughs> that we've had at Papa John slash LM Stadium. I'm going to go cards 30, Notre Dame 29. 
I love it. I, 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 I do. I'm gonna do the same thing. Like where I know that I'm like I'm picking against this all week. I'm like, eh, I'm just trying to be logical here. And then when I get to say, I'm like, we may win by forty. <laughs> like, I, you know, like look at this card, Barge. Regardless, could not be more excited for this game. I'm excited to see you. Excited to have you on the show today. It's gonna be fantastic. Let's fucking do this, guys. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you can. It's the best way to find out when new episodes are available. And we'll see you out at the stadium on Saturday. Let's fucking go. Go Cards. Beat Notre Dame. Go Cards, baby. Who's the wild man now? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man.